Hey everyone, welcome to the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. Our goal with this podcast is for Team Fairchild to get to know each other, our support programs, and to increase our sense of community and development. Every episode, we will be sitting down with people from around the base and learning about them and their keys to success. All right, everybody, welcome back to the next episode of Refuel Team Fairchild. Today, we are sitting down with Lieutenant Colonel Street, who is the 92 Ops Group Deputy Commander. Sir, how are you doing today? Uh, good. One of three Deputy Group Commanders. Oh, uh, wow. Okay, so you so, guys have three Deputy Group Commanders. What, what's the reason for that? Uh, we just have a lot of dynamics going on, and a lot of things are controlled at the um, at the Deputy level mm-hmm. with operations. So we have three, and can, we kind of focus on different aspects um, oh, wow. of the group. I did not know that. So is, and I apologize if, if I'm asking questions. You're like, man, you should know this, but... Uh, so is that on top of the squadron commanders as well? That's correct. Okay, wow. So we have squadron commanders um, and then three three deputies. So. Okay, excellent. Why well, I, I didn't know that. Um, you know, and so we were talking about this a little before I, I turned this on, but you actually were recommended by Lieutenant Colonel Ballou to me. Which So you're the first person, number one, that someone recommended. I know I always say, hey, if anyone knows anyone that wants to be on the podcast, let me know. And you're the first one that anyone recommended, so... Congratulations. Well, thanks. I guess that's uh, worth something to be first. So. Yeah. Well, he said that you had unmatched uh, relationships on this base. So that, that sparked my interest, and I was kind of curious as to what, what he meant by that. So um, I'll, I'll be asking you that question at some point as to how, how unmatched are these relationships that you have with other people. But okay. what I would like to do first off is so everyone gets a chance to know you a little bit better is go ahead and tell us your story. How did you get to where you are today? Uh. I would answer that question uh, first with God's God's providence is how how I got here, um, and I'll, I'll explain that by saying, you know, kind of my story of, of where I left um, and how I how I came to be here. I grew up in North Georgia, um, looking for a way to go to college, and the Air Force Academy uh, presented itself as an opportunity. Which is pretty uh, unusual. I have no connection to the Air Force uh, prior to that. Mm. Uh, very little connection to the military at all. But uh, I applied. I got accepted and said, okay, that sounds like a pretty good deal. I uh, went there, studied uh, civil engineering. My plan was to be a civil engineer, <clears throat> serve my five years uh, min- minimum and get out and do engineering. Uh, when it came to time to put in our job request, uh, I actually filled out the paperwork with civil engineering first and didn't have pilot mm-hmm. on there at all. And uh, I didn't feel right about that. And through some prayer, uh, I realized the spirit was telling me, no, you, you should do this pilot thing. Um, so I signed up to be a pilot and immediately felt, you know, ease and in, in my soul after that mm. uh, and went to pilot training uh, the next uh, interesting development uh, at the academy you once you sign up for pilot training you kind of pick where you want to go to pilot training and when we went in to pick you know the guy who's first gets you know, gets his choice. The guy who's last gets the last slot left, wherever it is. So when you, when you say that, you're talking like, do you have to li- just show up and get in a line or something? Or yeah, like, so you okay. graduate with a with a graduation order, mm-hmm. and you know, at least at the time, the guy the guy who's first goes in. And he's got the pick of all the pilot training bases and when he wants to start. And what 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 determined that order number? Um, 
there's a they combine a couple of things mm. uh like every other college we had a gpa mm. we had and also had like an athletic score and uh Okay. A military score. And so, but they all combined together. Okay. And, so it wasn't uh, like Black Friday where you just show up and no, 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 camp no, no, out no. a line. And, no, and it was based on your four years at the, at the academy. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, and how you did there as a cadet. Uh, but when I walked in, I looked at all the, uh, all the bases, all the Air Force pilot training bases. Mm. They all started, uh, months into, the next year. So I graduated in May of that year and they didn't have any slots that started till January or February. Mm-hmm. But the Navy, uh, at Pensacola had a slot that started in November and, you know, I didn't know anything. So I asked around like, Hey, well, how come nobody's signing up for the Navy? <laughs> and they said, you know, that the general rumor was, Oh, that'll be bad for your career. You don't want to do that. And I said, well, I'll do that. <laughs> so, that ended up being a really cool decision. Mm-hmm. I went to uh, pilot training there and uh, in uh, Pensacola, Milton, Florida, uh, specifically. Got to spend some time on the beach. Mm-hmm. Got to learn flying in, uh, uh, with the Navy, which has a little bit different philosophy. And I did my initial training there. Um, uh, but one thing that comes into play, I thought I would want to fly helicopters. Mm-hmm. But they don't get the number of helicopter classes to the Navy that uh, you would have at an Air Force base. Okay. So uh, I ended up moving uh, to Vance after that, which you can't learn to fly helicopters uh, at Vance uh, after you've done your initial pilot training. So uh, that's how I got slated to fly heavy aircraft. Okay. Um, because of a split decision and in that line at the academy <laughs> and then uh from there i ended up being slated to tankers went to altus uh from altus uh, i went to kadena air force base flew tankers uh out of japan that was pretty uh that was a pretty interesting environment um very dynamic uh lots of lots of things going on in the pacific um I spent three years there. Uh, I then uh, came here for my first assignment. At that point, uh, I thought, okay, this will probably be my last, well, my next to last assignment in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. How how many, I know the different FSCs have different time frames are required to complete for a pilot. How long do you have to, what's your uh, commitment for that? Ten years after finishing pilot training. Okay. So, uh, you know, that takes you to generally a 12 year service okay. point. Um, so, and we move about every three years. Mm-hmm. So I had three years in Kadena, I had three years here. And when it came time to look for my next assignment, I, I told my boss at the time, well, this next assignment will probably be my last assignment in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. I had some pretty am- ambitious plans of what I wanted to do. Um, and they said, okay. Well, that sounds okay. We're going to send you to Altus in the meantime. <laughs> so I went to Altus to teach guys how to fly the 135. Okay. Um, from there, even though most pilots uh, don't deploy out of Altus, I got uh, tasked to deploy for six months back to Manas, 
uh, which we were deploying mm-hmm. to from Fairchild. So I'd been there numerous times. Uh, and when I went out there, I had a, I met uh, a new uh, guy who's uh, kind of like a mentor to me out there. And he sat down and said, Mike, you know, I know you have these ambitious plans to go to med school and, and be a doctor, but uh, I think you're going to miss your kids if you do that. And what, but what do you mean by that? Well, because it was a pretty long uh, path to, mm-hmm. to get out of the Air Force and go to med school, do your residency. It takes several years mm-hmm. to do that. And so my kids, uh, I have four children, um, already had four children at that, that point. Mm-hmm. And so my, if I went through that path, two of my kids would have graduated high school before I finished the whole, whole path. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so I, I see that you, you'd have missed a lot of milestones. So that was his advice to me. And I mm-hmm. said, hmm, well, that you might be right there. That's, <laughs> you're onto something. So I, I kind of stopped that and came back and decided, hey, I'm going to stay in the Air Force. And, uh, I just, I requested to come back to Fairchild because we, we really liked Fairchild. Yeah. And, uh, so we came back and I, I was going to be here for three years. So I came back in 2014, mm-hmm. which means roughly 2017, I would have moved out maybe 2018 mm-hmm. and 2016, I got pretty sick. And I had to take uh, a year of kind of alternating between getting some treatment for mm-hmm. being really sick and, and working. And, but uh, because of that, I don't, uh, they, I don't have to move from Fairchild. I'm stay here because I still get some treatment down, downtown here. Okay. And I'll stay here until retirement. So, oh, wow. which is, uh, a few years away for me, but, sure. but not many, and uh, which probably brings you to your last to your question you started with. How do <laughs> I? Why do I have so many relationships? Mm-hmm. Uh, most officers haven't been here for as long as I have. So right. I, as my second assignment, I came back in 2014, and I've been here ever since. So you just had a lot, a lot of time to build those relationships. Yeah, I've worked a lot of jobs in a lot of different uh, areas. Mm-hmm. Um, we still in the ops group we rotate jobs pretty regularly. Yeah, and uh, so I got to do a, a lot of those uh, areas. And I've gotten to work with the guard a lot, so mm-hmm. I just uh, I guess I know a lot of people. So. <laughs> right. So well, that and that's that's a good point. Is to, you've had time to build to build those. Which um, do, do you think that moving officers every two or three years kind of hinders that relationship building process for them. And it would be more beneficial maybe to have them stick around for four years like the enlisted folks do a lot of times. Oh, I I think there could certainly be some benefit in that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, from my perspective, the longer you stay in a, in a unit, the better those relationships are, the better you, you can build those. Uh, However, you know, there's lots of reasons that officers move at, at the three yeah. three year point. So I don't know how doable it is, but right. yeah, there there could be some benefits to sticking okay. around for sure. Okay, so um, wow, so that's that's quite a uh, journey up to this point. Um, 
what I want to ask you next is, so being a mission support group person my entire career pretty much, I don't know a whole lot about what the ops group does. Um, and I know, and I've even been stationed on a missile wing that had an ops group, and I don't really know what they, they did. I mean, I get generally what they do, but there's a lot of intricacies that, that on the day to day. So what, what's something about your organization or the ops group that you, you could tell us that you think most people probably don't, don't know? Maybe there's a mission that you have or a way that things are done that most people really wouldn't think about. Um, I think, uh, what most people, probably don't realize about the ops group is how dynamic uh, things are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, you, you see that we fly missions and, you know, the maintenance group is producing the jets and you can see the maintainers working on the lines and then the jets leave and, and they come back hours later and we don't know, you know, you, you don't see what happens on those jets. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we're, we're perceived as not not working as hard or as long but mm. uh, people don't understand how long flight duty days are mm. and what it takes to you know the fly planes uh, what it takes to to be airborne for that long what it what it takes to your, does to your body mm-hmm. um, you know my longest flight was, a little over 17 hours airborne. Oh, wow. And I showed up a couple hours prior to that. Right. It took me a couple of other hours after that. So you add all that together, my day was 21 hours on yeah. that day. And, and you're, so, you have to be awake the entire time? And Well, so on a day that long, you do have enough crew members that, uh, you know, you can get some, some sleep. Mm-hmm. But if you've ever flown on a 135, you realize <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah. get the best sleep when right. you're doing that. Yeah. Um, and certainly... You know, you're going to have everybody up for takeoff and landing, right? Which are the most critical um, parts, mm-hmm. and air refueling usually. So, um, so that's that. I think is an aspect that a lot of the base doesn't understand about the ops group. You see, you know, hey, yeah, that's that's the mission going. Those are the guys flying the mission, but there's a lot of uh, that takes a lot and a lot of energy to do, and um, which is not. A, readily apparent i think right right the other thing about the uh ops group that i think a lot of people don't understand is you know we have four refueling squadrons here and one down at march mm-hmm. but we also have a support squadron and those guys you know they maintain the airfield uh they they maintain our life support equipment they also provide intel to the wing um, so we have a lot of AFSCs and ops that are uh, not not what you typically think of right. as just you know crew members. So um, I think people don't realize that either. So yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, most of the time when I think of the ops group, I think of the the refueling squadron. So if you were to say, "Oh, we're diverse," I would think, "Well, how how could that be? It's just refueling." But then I, I forget about the OSS that does have probably what eight or seven or so different AFSCs within it. it yeah, it has yeah. Uh, seven flights within it. Yeah. And those flights are all independent. Uh, you know, they can't, you can't take one guy and move him over to the other flight because they have their own AFSCs. Right. So. so, yeah, that's a good point. So after, it sounds like you made a few decisions on the fly that worked out pretty well for you. 
Um, so after after having been through all that, what what's some advice you'd give yourself on your first day? So you show up, you're done with training, you show up to your first base, and you could pull yourself aside. What would you tell yourself? Like what could I tell Lieutenant Street when yeah. he's, yes, when sir. he's coming out? Uh, I would I would tell him, don't be afraid. And I I say that you know you have we have paths that we think this is the way we need to go, and we say okay, well we need to do that because everybody else did that. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a as a lieutenant. I really didn't want to stand out very much, and I wanted to blend in as much as possible. That's kind of uh, what one of the things I learned at the academy, and one, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people might learn in basic training. Hey, I don't want to stand out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid to do that, right? Because uh, there's opportunities out there that people haven't haven't seen, or you mm-hmm. know, maybe you're really good at something that nobody else is, and. So I think I spent some time, you know, kind of trying to blend in and not not stand out. That I, I could have done something different. Okay. And then also don't be afraid to take risks. That, uh, you know, calculated risks. Don't be crazy. Right. Right. But uh, we, especially flying, is sometimes a risky, a risky business. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We see evidence of that. You know, unfortunately, we see we see evidence of that quite a bit. Um, now, a question that I, I just I'm kind of curious about now too. After that is, uh, so you had mentioned that your initial idea was to just do five years, get out, and then you ended up taking the pilot route, which takes you to 12 years. So there are things you can do to get out that don't involve going to medical school and missing you know kids' birthdays and stuff like that. So what what kept you in the military? And I ask that because a lot of Officers and the chiefs I've talked to, all of them, I often just do four years or six years and get out, and then they end up staying in for much longer than that. So, what for you? What aside from the stability, what what kept you in it? Maybe if it just was a stability, that might have been only the only reason as well. Uh, well, all, all these decisions are really complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I was thinking about going to med school, and that was a path that I'd laid out. I thought, oh, I, I had this straight. And so then I changed my mind. Mm-hmm. At that point, I had the, uh, I had a skill set. Uh, about that point, a lot of people are, are looking to, a lot of off, uh, pilots get out and go fly for airlines mm-hmm. um, because there's some jobs uh, related there. And especially in my year group, a lot of, they were offering a voluntary separation pay. So they were paying some of mm. my peers to get out. So they would get paid. They got out and then they would go fly for an airline and get paid. Mm. And uh, That's probably similar to med school though. You're not home a whole lot. Well, so there is there is that, right? Mm. And, you know, I did have that discussion with my wife. Hey, I'll be gone doing this. Mm. Um but ultimately, the decision to stay in the military was determined by prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent some time praying uh, about it and uh, looking for leading from God of what what should I do. And uh, he guided me to stay in the military, which uh, I would say worked out pretty good for me. 
for when I got sick, I had some great health care coverage to help yeah. cover all those expenses. Yeah. Um, which, you know, who knows where, where I would have been. Right. So. Right. That's a good point. Um, thanks for answering that question. Mm-hmm. So what, what motivates or drives you still then? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that. Um, I think we, that's, that's an incredibly important question that everybody's got to answer. Right. Because, you know, there's life has, is a series of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, when, when it's up, it's easy to keep going. And oh, yeah. when it's down, you gotta, you know, go back to what's, what really motivates you to do things. Right. Um, and, you know, probably not a surprise is the answer to my other questions, but, <laughs> but God is primarily my, my motivation okay. and my, my faith. Uh, that's what, uh, you know, when when things get hard and I think oh this didn't work out the way that I wanted it to, that's where where I go back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would say even you know significant yeah, when when I did get sick, I had uh, at the time it was a twelve percent chance to survive in the next five years. Oh wow! And uh, you know every day my for like two months, my wife and I would, when we woke up, one of us would look at the other one and say, God is good. And we remind each other all the time. And that, uh, that motivation was required to keep going at, at that point. Because there were times that I didn't want to, you know. Um, and that's, that's true even on just the job there's times that you know i maybe i had a long day and somebody's asking something else of me and i i don't really want to do it but uh you know my faith says that i should work hard and so all right what do you need and that you know both in those hard times and in the little times that motivation is there so I think all of us have to have some type of motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's it's faith, uh, but you got to have something, some kind of ideal that drives you more than the day to day. Yeah. So, so for you, a lot of it seems to, to lean on the spirituality pillar. If mm-hmm. you're going off the you know resiliency pillars, and that that's a good point. I think uh, most of the folks that I've talked to really do lean on one of those four categories um, to, to help motivate and, and drive them through. Um, and I had, a, I had a question, but I forgot what it was now. Oh, that's right. Um, so after after having gone through being sick and having a 12% chance of survival over the next five years, ha- how does that change your outlook on, on um, stressors, you know, being stressed out about things? Uh, well, it, it for sure changes... You know, don't sweat the small stuff. Mm-hmm. I think uh, everybody would imagine that. You, we get so worked up about little things sometimes, and we don't need to be. Uh, but interestingly, on my overall like outlook, it, it really hasn't changed 
a whole lot. Okay. And that's, that's actually because my faith was so strong before I got sick. Okay. Because, um, that, that was the basis that I went to. And, um, you know, with that, with that idea, what motivates or drives you, you know, you have to look at what also counts as you did a good job or, mm-hmm. or success. Um, and what, what does success look like? And, you know, to me, success is not, uh, you know, making a lot of money or leading a lot of people. It's doing what God intends me to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if, you know, I believe, uh, you know, my faith tells me that one day we will all be judged and success is when my, you know, my heavenly father looks at me and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, up to that point, I'm just continuing to walk through the paths that he lays in front of me. Mm-hmm. So whether that is, you know, flying, flying a mission that's really helpful to people or uh, not flying a mission because I, I, he, I got sick. Right. Okay. That actually answered the next two questions I had. So, <laughs> uh, so what, you know, we'll go ahead and shift gears here on this one then, sir. Um, and, and part of what I do want to talk about is professional development. Um, cause as the career advisor, of course, that's a huge portion of what I do. And I, I'm pretty passionate about that one. So what resources have you used throughout your career for your own professional development? It could be things that you did on your own or things the Air Force had laid out for you. But, uh, what are some of the things that you've used? Uh, well, I did the, you know, the PME that, mm-hmm. that, uh, comes up for officers. Uh, I don't know that that, that really had, was incredibly influential of how I am as an officer. But, okay. But Tell I, about did, SO, I think SOS. SOS, SOS yeah, and, and uh, ACSC, Air mm-hmm. Command and Staff College. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think most of who, you know, how I developed as an officer came either from reading about those who went before me or discussing with, uh, you know, my leaders that uh, are above me currently or my peers um, and or the instructors that I liked and really looking at them and saying, okay, I really thought these were good attributes that they had and try to emulate those attributes that I thought were good mm-hmm. and the uh, attributes that I wasn't the biggest fan of, I tried not to do. Right, and, right. You know, sometimes I was guilty and I'd look back and say, dang, I did the same thing that guy before me did that I didn't want to do. Yep, but, yep. Um, I think uh, as far as professional development, that was probably the most important part is seeing you know seeing the leaders above me and trying to do what they do Mm. as well as working with those around me right so are you are you an avid reader do you i do read quite a bit bit. uh because you you just mentioned that you tried to read about the leaders that came before you so what what are some books that you'd recommend everyone should read that you know pertains to leadership um 
that pertains specifically to leadership? Well, you know, let's 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 throw that out the window. Um, because I interviewed Chief Simpson a little while ago, and he was like, "If you only read leadership books, you're boring." And it that stuck in my head. Now I'm like, "Yeah, that's true." So I'll just say, what what are some books, some influential books that you've read that you think helped you get to where you are or helped you in your career? Um, okay, so books that were big influences in my life. Uh, uh, first would be the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the most influential book I've read. Yeah. Um, and so before you go on with that one, interestingly enough, I've had a lot of folks mention the Bible and some of them were not religious, but they mentioned it for like the leadership lessons and stuff that, that, that and the resiliency lessons that are in there as well. So um, I just wanted to put that out there because... Uh, uh, that was interesting to me. One, one person in particular I can remember who afterwards he said, hey, you know, I'm not really religious, but, you know, that book does does kind of have a lot of these lessons that we teach in it. So, Well, not only that, I think it is uh, really at the basis of Western, what we would deem Western society. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the basic elements of our Constitution come out of the Bible. So mm-hmm. I think... Even if you're not religious, reading the Bible would give you an idea, a better idea of the ideas of the ideals of our country, than right. how it is set forward. Yep. So, uh, I would say a book uh, by C.S. Lewis called "Mere Christianity." Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, uh, you know, I talk a lot now, and I sound like my faith is really strong. At one point, I was an atheist, mm-hmm. and so. That book was really influential to me when once I became a Christian. Uh, a good leadership book uh, for me was uh, The First Heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was by Craig Nelson, I think. And it documented the Doolittle Raiders. Uh, and that was another, you know, timing is, is a lot of things. Um, I, I was given that book on my first deployment. So I was flying over uh, Iraq uh, pretty, pretty, uh, I was like 2004. Mm-hmm. And so there were still things going on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had this book about the Doolittle Raiders. And there, there were lots of shocking things in there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them being how much risk they were willing to accept and how little risk we were, we were willing to accept. Yeah. But I think, you know, I'll tell you one, one story that I try to, you know, model where I went after reading it. When they, they took the B-25s and they were going to take them off the aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. They'd never done that before. They lined them up, uh, you know, nose to tail, which means the first air, the first plane had the least amount of runway. Right. And so they took them to, uh, I think it was Eglin, uh, and uh, Doolittle said, hey, we're going to do this. And all the pilots said, no, we can't do that. There's not <laughs> enough runway. And they painted a line on the runway and said, nope, we're all going to take off here. And not only that, I'm going to be in the front. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to take that uh, throughout my career. As long as I'm, I'm capable, never asking somebody to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Do yourself, yeah. And uh, so I really like that book. Um, well, it also seems to go back to what you talked about too with with calculated risks. Like that was really risky for them to do, but the reward was, right. was was high. So it was worth it was worth that risk of 
never having done this. And, and yeah, I've, I've read the story and they do a little bit of it in that, what was that movie? Pearl Harbor, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if anyone's interested in the story, it's a, there's a lot more to it. And yeah, it was a, oh, yeah, it was it's a lot. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating what, book. What those folks did, I, I think personally, when I think about the Air Force, that's what I think about. The innovation, the, the willingness to do things like that. I mean, if you think about it, like, the first person that was like, hey, let's get in this plane and fly over this battlefield and drop bombs, and then I'm going to jump out with a parachute. Those those people were insane. Like, that's nuts to do, but that's where we came from as a service, and I, I think sometimes we forget that, that it's okay to, to be a little bit, you know, thinking way outside the box because that's where we all came from in the exactly. beginning. So, um, yeah, I, I try to remember that too when I whenever I'm like – not that my job has is as risky as the two little Raiders mission, but whenever I want to take a little bit of risk and I think, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea, I think, you know, well, why not? That's that's what the Air Force was born out of. So, go yeah, for it. Yeah, it was it was really it was a good book. Yeah, and, uh, I'm sure there's other good ones about mm-hmm. the two little Raiders. That's just the one that that I read. read. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There's a book uh, called Bonhoeffer by a guy named Eric Metaxas. Uh, it's about uh, it's a biography of a German Diedrich Bonhoeffer who lived between World War One and World War Two, and what what he observed in Germany as Germany became Nazi and how you know how he saw that it was wrong mm-hmm. and what was his moral responsibility to do in relation to that and uh, which eventually led to his death in a concentration camp oh wow um but to me that was a really influential book to know uh two things one to kind of see how he dealt with that difficulty which we can deal with uh you know maybe not on that scale but there's always difficult decisions to make and then seeing how much one individual can accomplish uh in a short lifespan it's kind of motivated me to to get out and do something Mm -hmm. yeah uh, and then I think the, the last one, which is, is the only fiction one that, that I'll list, uh, is the Lord of the Rings. I just, I like the Lord <laughs> of the Rings. I think it's a great story. Yeah. Uh, specifically the idea of somebody who doesn't think that they're supposed to change the world or, or do anything big. It's just because he happened to be the guy who this opportunity came to mm-hmm. saved the entire world. Um, that's that's a really interesting concept. Yeah, um, and I think it applies more than we realize. Absolutely. Those are uh, I've never read the Lord of the Rings, but I agree with you on the story. And then the other the you other can book. probably watch the movie. It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, the book's kind of long. Is it? Yeah, I, I uh, I've heard the book's kind of long, but you know, and it's such a cliche thing to say, but it's true. Most of the time, when I've read the book. And then watch the movie or watch the movie read the book. The book is just way better. They go into more detail. And a lot of times the movie skips stuff or doesn't like, you know, doesn't really, not, doesn't follow the whole story or whatever. Yeah, they just have to, you know, fit it all in two hours. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the the other book you mentioned about the, uh, the German who died in a concentration camp, I, I always find that interesting, especially that particular historical event that happened because, I don't know, are you familiar with who Jocko Willink is? So he, he has his own podcast. It's ma- it's mainly about leadership, and I'm sure the, the folks listening are like, God, sorry, Barry, here we go with Jack <laughs> But he, he does review a lot of books about the Holocaust, and not only you know the 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 ally side, but the the other side as well. And 
it, it was in, it's interesting to hear the accounts from the Germans, many of who were basically peer pressured into that. And I'm not saying what they did was right at all, but a lot of them were just normal folks who who would never ever you know do, do like murder anybody. But by the end of that war, they were they were just a bunch of killers who who just they got caught up in the moment and kind of got peer pressured into it. And then before you know it, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're lining up people and shooting them into ditches and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's really interesting to read that perspective of it, you know, yeah. and just kind of understand that like that can happen to people. And if you're not careful with, with how, with your own morality and not willing to stand that line and, and sometimes put your own life on the line, like you can get caught up in those kinds of things as yeah, well. It's pretty fascinating to see how Germany, came that way it's, yeah it really is yeah um i remember one particular story uh he talks about it was it was um it was the, the forces that were uh t- carrying out these mass executions were were just like reserve police and they were just basically rounded up and and you know hey we're gonna go do this and, and some of them didn't want to do it but they voiced their opinions and they were basically told shut up you're gonna do it anyway and then some of them got into it really quickly and, and a lot of them didn't, but at the end, all of them ended up participating in these mass executions, and it just became a, such a normal thing to them that they didn't think about it after a while. And it was it was just really interesting to see how you can take someone who just lives a normal life and is a reserve cop on the side. Now all of a sudden you're you're you know you're you're killing people. It was just yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I you know I heard this the other day on, on the radio that you know we want to put people in. Oh, these are good people and these these are bad people, mm-hmm. but. Uh, you know, the human heart's really divided. There's there's good and and there's bad, and yeah. so there's constantly a struggle uh, within there. And so it's it's I find that period very interesting too. Germany, which was uh, a good you know uh, Christian people as a nation, how did they become Nazis? Yeah. And, uh, that's an interesting movement. Yeah. So, all right, excellent. Is there anything in particular that you're you're diving into now? Any any areas that you're trying to learn about a little bit more? Uh Well, I'm I'm leading three books now that uh, I don't know if they're how good they are cuz I haven't finished them yet. <laughs> uh, one is is specifically about Western worldview, so how how we view the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for everybody who's been deployed, you know, we view the world differently yes. than other cultures. Yeah, um, and how that Western view worldview developed and why it developed that way. So that's that's been pretty interesting so far. Um, I'm just started a book about uh, the Scots Irish and their migration to. Uh, the United States or, mm-hmm. or America and their influence in uh, American history as a people group. So that's also been pretty interesting, mm-hmm. uh, especially because a lot of them ended up in the Appalachian uh, Mountains, which is where a lot of my family is from. Okay. So that's that's been interesting. <laughs> and then the third one's kind of kind of random. Uh, it's the history of the mosquito. So it's, <laughs> okay. it's kind of covering, you know, uh, a top view level of the history, you know, big events in history, but then looking at 
how the mosquito affected those events, which is <laughs> okay. Sounds kind of silly, but uh, you know, no, I think that's great. Malaria is a real thing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, little things like Rome was was surrounded by marshes, so when invaders came to Rome, they tended to get sick. Yeah, all from a little tiny mosquito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I like that you're reading three books at once. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so nothing like earth-shattering right now. But those are... <laughs> no, I, I, I like that you're reading three books at once. I, I have I have a tendency to do that, too, and, and my wife, uh, she'll go, how can you do that? And I'm like, well, you watch... How many TV shows are you watching right now? Yeah. She's like, that's true. And I'm like, yeah, I just I read a little bit of each one every night, and, you know, from, from there I go. But the mosquito, that's... that's That's an interesting concept. That's true. I bet that did cause a lot of problems, and if, if that wasn't there... How how would that have, how would history be a little maybe a little different? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. It was it was kind of a random book that somebody gave me. Yeah, uh, not by anybody particularly famous or anything. I just thought, huh? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting idea. I wonder what this guy has to say. Yeah. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, how many how many wars they talk about more people died from diseases than from the battlefield. So, yeah, not. I wonder how that would have been. How history would have. Would have shaped or be a lot different if if there was no malaria and no mosquitoes around. So mostly that was just interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I I totally get that one. Um, interesting. Okay. So nothing in particular. Just just kind of yeah. expanding your mind a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. All right, sir. Well, yeah, we we've actually made it through all these talking points. So uh, what I'll do now, and also I'm, I'm sure you're busy, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. Is is we'll get into uh, three takeaways that you'd like to leave the listeners with. Uh. Well, you know, off our, our conversation, I think my biggest uh, takeaway I would say is everybody has something that motivates them. Mm-hmm. So you, you, everybody needs to have something. If you don't have something, you need to start looking at, at some of the deeper questions out there. Like, why am I doing this? Or what what causes me to get up in the morning? Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, like we discussed, life is full of ups and downs, and what that motivation is is, is critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, I, I suppose, would be don't don't be afraid to take risk. Uh, you know, like you like you mentioned, the Air Force was built on a lot of risks, mm-hmm. so uh, that should be calculated risk, right? Right. Don't don't just be silly, but don't be afraid to take some risk, you, whether it's with your career or where you're going or what you think uh, the future should hold for you um, or what path you're going to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one, I think, uh, we haven't talked about too much, but uh, I think it's absolutely critical. You are not alone. Mm-hmm. So we talked about... A lot of things, you know, I, I talked about my journey. I didn't, I wasn't by myself on that journey. You know, I had a family. My wife's always been there supporting me. Mm-hmm. I had peers uh, supporting me. I had a church that when I got sick was there. How can we help, you know, right? coming alongside. Or even, you know, we talked about the Lord of, Lord of the Rings and the one guy taking the ring, right? He didn't do it by himself. Right, yeah. There was a group of yeah, people that came and, and helped him get it to one point. And even when he set off on his own, you know, his, his friend came with him so that he didn't have to do it alone. Yeah. Um, 
And so I think that's, that's really uh, critical uh, for everybody to realize that we're not, we're not made to do things by ourselves. Yeah. Um, especially as we go into an era um, where we have, it's easy to lock yourself away in a room yeah. and look at, you know, look at your computer and, and all your friends are, you know, just online friends. And I, that's, there's more to life than just that. So Yeah. And that last, you know, that last one, uh, comparison to Lord of the Rings is really interesting. And when you said that, my first thought to come to mind was, yeah, he had a team around him and some of them were willing to sacrifice themselves for his journey. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, while I think on a daily basis, people aren't willing to sacrifice their, their lives for you. Some of them are, but don't forget that people are making sacrifices for you that you don't even probably know about, um, you know, in, in, in your journey. So that, that's a really good, that's interesting. And, and I think that story really does actually, I, I never looked at it that way until you brought that up today, but that does have a lot of like teamwork, leadership type stuff in it. Absolutely. That's pretty interesting. So, all right, sir. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. And those are three really good takeaways. Um, again, I want to be respectful of your time because I'm sure that you are very, very busy. So what I would, I do want to say is thanks for sitting down with us today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I thought that was was really good. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely, sir. All right, everybody, until next time. Well, that's it for this episode of Refuel Team Fairchild. If you have show ideas, people you'd like to hear from, or if you'd like to be on the podcast, contact us at fafbcaa at gmail.com.